Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Rich Velotis. I'm the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. And I'm here with Pete Scazzaro as always. Pete is the founder of New Life as well as the founder of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, today, Pete, we're beginning a series of podcasts uh, that we're going to be working through your book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And every podcast, we're going to be just uh, looking a brief overview of uh, what you're exploring in each chapter. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about the emotionally unhealthy leader, um, the emotionally unhealthy leader. So before uh, we get into some of the content, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey as an emotionally unhealthy leader. Uh, it's hard to believe it. It's a nasty uh, question. <laughs> but as an emotionally unhealthy leader uh, in your time leading New Life Fellowship Church over 25 years. Um, so tell us a little about your story. Yeah, so I like to say... I, I, I had four conversions, and it's a nice way to frame how I ended up writing this book. Became a Christian, 1976, had a wonderful conversion to Christ, his grace, his love, learned all about spiritual disciplines, etc. But it was only, it was almost, boy, 19 years later, in 1996, that I call, I had my second conversion. I was at that point pastoring new life for a number of years, but it was the integration of emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated. And it was out of that crisis of realizing something was missing in formation uh, in our church here at New Life, then in my own life as well, that uh, out of that cataclysmic crisis of my own marriage uh, and pondering for a couple of years, God met myself, Jerry, in a very significant way. And it's so significant, it changed the whole way we follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. and it was his integration of emotional health. And then uh, there was a third conversion in 2003 that I called a slow down spirituality conversion or contemplative spirituality conversion which uh, was a four-month sabbatical, uh, living the rhythms of silence and solitude, visiting monasteries, and how do I live a slow-down life for Jesus in the midst of actively pastoring and leading a church? Yeah. And it was so dramatic, it was like a third conversion. And out of that came the whole book, Emotionally Spirituality, etc. But this book, The Emotional Leader, flows out of what I call my fourth conversion, which was in 2007. Uh, our church at that point had grown quite large, of staff, a community development corporation, and I would be asked, well, how do you integrate all this emotional health and the contemplative spirituality material in leading a large organization? Budgets, hiring, firing, planning, strategic, strategic thinking, team building. And I'd always hit a wall on that. Mm -hmm. And it was this 2007 event where God came to me about the issue was not so much in the organization of new life, it was a deeper issue inside of my own iceberg, my own inner life. And so at that point, I became, uh, for a two-year period, the executive pastor at New Life and said, I'm going to dive into this grassroots-wise and try to figure out what is the problem here mm -hmm. that all this great stuff that's happening in our congregation with emotional health and a contemplative was not translating into the leadership of the large organizational church dynamic. Yeah. And uh, so it's been the last, wow, uh, eight years. It's been a tremendous journey, but this book flows out of that. So in the book, you talk about uh, four characteristics of an emotionally unhealthy leader. So one by one, can you explore what are those four uh, that we need to be mindful of? So we landed on four of them. The first is, is low self-awareness, uh, that the problem is many of us as leaders are just not aware of what's going on in our own inner lives. Mm. 
And so even in meetings, uh, very often are unaware of how people are experiencing us, uh, our motivations being mixed, and haven't done a lot of work on how, for example, our family of origin and our cultures are impacting how we're leading. And that low self-awareness uh, has large repercussions mm -hmm. for uh, the church and uh, for our leadership. Uh, the second is a prioritizing of the ministry of the church over marriage or singleness. That never happens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, putting the ministry of the church or that aspect of leadership first over our marriage or our singleness yeah. has wide implications for team building and planning and decision making. Uh, it's an enormous problem. We see the consequences around the world in the church. But I think it's deeper than even that, that it really affects the level of formation and transformation that's going to actually go on in our churches. Mm. That's, where people, that's where people are living every day. But then thirdly, a third characteristic of emotionally unhealthy spirituality is not just low self-awareness or prioritizing ministry over uh, marriage or singleness. It's we do more activity for God than our being for God can sustain. Mm. We're too busy. And so as a result, we're preaching and teaching things that we don't have time to actually absorb into our bloodstream. And so what happens is we're, it's like when people touch the hem of Jesus' garment, his being, power flowed out from him because it was his life. I think because it came out of an intimacy with the Father. Yeah. Because we don't have time to cultivate our own inner life with God that's deep, it just colors everything we do. Uh, and so our doing is not have enough being with Jesus to sustain it. Mm. And uh, so it ends up being flat. And then finally, we don't have a, lastly, we lack a Sabbath work rhythm. Yeah. We just don't have a rhythm. So we're just, we're just working. It's not a rhythm of I'm working six days, I'm, I have a Sabbath. I don't mm. think we understand Sabbath as a key formational discipline. And so it's very, uh, you know, it's interesting. We have so many qualities we could have landed on saying, what is an emotionally unhealthy leader? But really it was these four yeah. that leave a deficit in our lives that have wide impact. Mm. Now, at New Life, we often say that uh, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. It's a great, it's a great statement, uh, speaking to the depth of how we've been shaped by mm -hmm. our families of origin, our culture. Um, you also note four unhealthy commandments uh, that are in the bones of an overall church culture um, that contributes to a culture, a leader being emotionally unhealthy. So describe those um, unhealthy commandments as well, because we, we have the uh, characteristics of an unhealthy leader, then we have these commandments that you explore. The first one you say here is, it's not success unless it's bigger and better. That, is that an unhealthy commandment? Yes. <laughs> and again, it's not that numbers are bad, because we have a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. <laughs> And uh, in the book of Acts, they do count numbers. And yeah. Jesus does tell us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples uh, of all nations. So it's a good thing. The question is, it, it, it's, it's, it's when we cross a line. And we see that, for example, in David, right? David in, in Chronicles and, and 2 Samuel, he counts the fighting men. And he crosses a line because it's coming out of pride for him. It's coming out of a lack of trust in God. And it's not that we count numbers. It's that the problem is it's the only thing we count. Mm. And if that's the problem, it's only success if it's bigger and better. Mm. It doesn't take into account so many things uh, of what it means to bear fruit. I mean, for Jesus in John 6, 
If he was counting numbers, he wouldn't have given that sermon about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me when, when the, the massive crowds leave him. Yeah. But he had a large, long-range perspective, and he didn't die with great numbers either. Mm. Uh, but we all each have a place and a calling in the kingdom. John the Baptist's numbers diminished at the end of his life. Uh, and so it's so many factors you're, where God's placed you, the kind of people you're, you're ministering to, where you are in the world is a big factor. If you're, if you're a pastor in a Muslim country, to be comparing yourself to someone who's a pastor in, here in New York or in the Bible Belt, it's just an unfair comparison. Yeah. But we make these, we're comparing just numbers. And yeah. that, it's so deep in the culture that we measure our success by bigger and better that so many of us feel like failures, like, oh my gosh, and, you know, and I'm not like this guy down the street who's got instantly big church or double my church. And I mean, all these pastors are in therapy for the wrong reasons, you know, and mm. because our self-image is all screwed up because all we measure is numbers. Yeah. And that's just sad. So the first unhealthy commandment is it's not success unless it's bigger and better. The second one is what you do is more important than who you are. What you do is more important than yes. who you are. Explore that a little bit. Well, what you do is important, but it's not more important than who you are. And I think that, here's a saying, and we've used this a couple of times ourselves, Rich, you know, you cannot, we, you cannot give what you do not possess. And, and you can only give what you do possess. That's what's going to come out of you. So, you know, I used to, when I, when I was a young preacher, I used to watch Billy Graham, and I would preach his sermon. <laughs> I didn't have the power that came out of Billy Graham with that sermon, I can tell you that. Dude, it wasn't me. I just thought, you know. How you were know, the altar calls, though? That's the question. People didn't come forward either. <laughs> I prayed just as I am. I prayed to him. I did it all. And, uh, and I'm not against, like, using pieces of people's sermons. I don't think it's a bad thing. But the key is that it gets inside of you. And I, and I think that we underestimate that if our goal is bringing people into a deep relation with Jesus and, and on a journey with Christ, we have to go on that journey first and just telling them, go this way, but we're not living it. And so I, I meet people talking about prayer and talking about slowing down, and, but they're not doing it themselves. Yeah. Uh, and it's a tremendous problem because who we are, it's the problem is who we are is much more difficult to measure yeah. than what we do. And so again, we've got to broaden our understanding of measurements and look at some of these more you know, fuzzy things that we tend to have difficulty measuring, like, am I growing in my inner life, you know, with God, my person, who mm. I am? Yeah. The third one is superficial spirituality is okay, and that's an unhealthy commandment. Uh, superficial spirituality is... Now, we wouldn't say that um, yeah, never. overtly, um, but it seems that people are, have normalized that. Well, we have the temptation here, don't we, at New Life, as long as we have the crowds... And the, and the events are exciting, the worship's powerful, the preaching's great, um, everything's fine. And we don't, we, we assume everything's okay. Yeah. And we assume people are nurturing their relationship with Jesus, they're living it out in their behind closed doors, in their homes, and we just accept the fact of, okay, you're, you're in church, you're participating, hopefully you're giving, and you're serving. That's great. That's what we expect, right? You're in the program and you're serving. And we assume that they're just growing in depth. Right. That assumption, I found out, is very wrong. Yeah. You know, I think of 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel says all of David's sons come, I mean, all of um, David's family, all his older brothers come, and Samuel does not choose any of them. And, but God says, when David shows up, uh, the, you look at the outward appearance, but the, God looks at the heart. Mm. 
And I think we look at the outward appearance of church and we assume everything's great because we have, especially the bigger mega churches. I'm not against mega churches, uh, but even if our church is 75 people, how we assume everything's good, we have our certain measurements that it doesn't mean there's real spirituality going on. Yeah. And I think we don't want to assume anything any longer. I don't assume anything any longer because I realize I was living a lot of illusion. Mm-hmm. Lastly, you say, don't rock the boat as long as the work gets done. Yes. Don't rock the boat unless the work's, uh, as long as the work gets done. So just explore that and then maybe some words of encouragement for us. Do you like rocking the boat? <laughs> no. no. Um, you know, I think of Jeremiah 6. He says, peace, peace. Jeremiah says, you say peace, peace when there is no peace. And uh, I, like most pastors, I don't like conflict. I think most of us don't. And so we've got often people who are, quote, effective and serving and getting things done. But there's some inconsistencies in their lives, uh, perhaps in their marriages or their singleness. And we don't want to ask those questions because we don't really want to find out because we're getting so much done. And how can I ever replace this person? Right. And we don't like to rock the boat. Uh, and I just think, if, imagine if Peter in Acts 5, in the middle of that great revival in Jerusalem, did not rock the boat with Ananias and Sapphira. Right. I mean, them falling dead on the floor was a big rocking of the boat. So I don't want people dying on the floor in front of me, <laughs> but I don't want to be afraid to ask difficult questions, to find out what's going on. And I think there's a subtlety in, in, mm. the, in the church of, again, because we've got this number, we've got the thing moving, we've got money, we've got to get it, keep it going, that we're, we tend not to want to ask the difficult questions of, that may rock the boat and capsize one or two people in the process. But it's actually an act of love. Yeah. So I imagine that uh, many uh, folks that are listening and watching right now have experienced these unhealthy commandments, uh, have lived in this way, um, and could easily go into despair now. Uh, like, what, what are some yes. words of encouragement yeah. in light of, it's difficult out there. Yes. What are some words of encouragement as we close our time here? Okay, so this is chapter one, so let's not get, you know, uh, of the emotional leader. And so I, you know, my encouragement is that this, this takes time. Like, this is a big journey. And there are levels of actually getting it, getting it. Um, and so give yourself a lot of time. Uh, and you just don't get it in one shot. I mean, you've got to try to live it. It's like, how do I learn to pray? I learn to pray over time. Mm. I learn to read scripture and understand it over time. Well, to really understand this and begin to integrate in your life is going to take a lot of time. Yeah. So relax. Uh, God's going to meet you right where you are and take you one step at a time. But... Uh, my encouragement is I, you will find life and the, the, you'll taste of some things that are so right of, of such of God and you'll see and you'll begin to see the fruit real fruit it will pull you forward mm. uh, but make no mistake about it we're talking about a significant paradigm shift yeah. of how we do leadership yeah so uh, there'll be more podcasts to come to explore many of these themes here you can check out Uh, emotionallyhealthy.org for more information. See you next time.